Something that I say in one of the things that I've published is that your partner's struggle is not made one bit easier by your suffering. And I encounter caregivers who feel like... Welcome to Finding Your Spark again. I am so glad to be back with you again this week. Today, we have a special guest. Terry Pease, PhD, is the author of the number one best-selling book, Love, Dignity, and Parkinson's, From Care Partner to Caregiver. Terry is a highly experienced professional with the social services and healthcare industries who has dedicated her working life to helping people who are facing highly stressful situations. For more than 20 years, she has trained staff in organizations around the United States on offering supportive, empathetic, and effective trauma-informed care to those who need it most. Welcome, Terry. Thank you. Thanks, Donalyn. I'm excited to be here. I am really excited to have you and to get to really dive into this concept of how we create joy, how we find joy, how we have it, even though we're in these highly stressful situations, right? And because um, life can be super intense. So I'd love it if you could tell us a little bit about you and just give us a little introduction. Great. Thank you, Donalyn. I'm really glad again to be here because what I, who I am is a person who's always been in the business of helping helpers. And somehow, I mean, at, at some point I was a helper myself and it was a college professor and a bunch of other things. But what's always been really part of my professional sense of joy, if we use the word that's going to be talked about a lot today, was seeing someone who's doing good, working hard to do good and has hit a wall. And it's like, what do I do next? How do I fix this? How do I continue to do this and feel okay? And for some reason, that's part of what I know how to do. And so I did that when my husband's Parkinson's sort of galloped ahead of where we were. Um, I had to stop working, stop writing. And I became a full-time caregiver, whereas before I had been a care partner and I had been a wife and then a care partner and, and finally a caregiver. And after Peter died, um, and you know, people say, oh, I'm sorry. And oh, yes, but we all die. And he went with comfort and he went with a sense that it was time that he was ready to go. So I don't, um, that doesn't bring grief to me to say that. But after he was gone, I realized I've learned a lot. I've organized my thoughts about this a lot. And I want to share it because what am I going to do with all of this stuff that I learned? And of course, I wrote a book. And out of the book, I've developed some other things that I can talk about later about how I reach out to Parkinson's caregivers, dementia caregivers, and other people who need the kind of ideas that I have. Yeah, this is so amazing to hear you talk about. I know that... Um, my experience was uh, with caregiving was intense, and I was always very grateful that it wasn't intense and long, right? Uh, because I feel like I I got to learn a lot in the ways that you're talking about, and then uh, and then also be able to recover very quickly because, uh, as you said, there are times when people pass that it doesn't bring us grief to talk about it. And I think that's the best way I've ever heard anybody express that in that it's a, it's a tricky thing to talk about when someone passes and, and there's no reason to say 
that you're sorry. Like, it's okay. It is okay. There isn't a grief uh, wound there anymore. Um, and, uh, and so that's very impressive. And I know that for me, walking through that time period involved a lot of being intentional about having happiness. I, I love that you say it that way, having happiness, that happiness is not something that falls on you. Happiness is kind of a relationship that you have with yourself and with the world around you. Because specifically the kind of caregiving that I talk about is very demanding. It can be almost 24 seven. And when it goes on for months and months and years and years, you as a caregiver can feel almost imprisoned by it. And yet, once you've accepted the role, and I think that this is a critical thing, once you've said to yourself, okay, self, this is what we're doing, then within that space, you have to ask yourself, what's working? How do I make this a life and not just a sacrifice? This is such an important piece, uh, that acceptance piece that you just talked about. So important. And it's important no matter what the changes that we're making in our lives, when we change roles, when we change identities, right? Because we really identify ourselves with the things that we do in life. And so when we're working and then we're not working or we're having a romantic relationship and then we're having a caregiving relationship, like those are massive shifts. And those shifts deserve both attention and acceptance because if you do not then it's you cannot make that without resentment and anger and worry and stress of all kinds isn't it true that's right i mean it is hard i mean i would never say that caregiving for an, an ailing a partner or parent or anyone um isn't hard but we do hard things all the time i think one thing that happens with um Spouses especially, I think, is the feeling of being surprised. Well, no, I, I take it back. One thing that happens not only with spouses, but with people taking care of their parents as well, is an ongoing sense of shock and surprise. Why is this like this today? And if we do that to ourselves, then today and tomorrow and six years down the road, we're treating every caregiving day as though it were a new surprise of a day. You know, people sometimes talk about Groundhog Day is the experience that caregiving can be very much the same. And I'm going to say this carefully. Yes, some of the tasks are the same, but if we treat it like this is this new assault on the normal, then we feel terrible every day. And at the point when we as caregivers recognize my partner has this condition, my partner has dementia, my mom can't do this anymore, then that surprise doesn't assault us. And we are free to say, this is the life that I'm in. This is the life that I'm living. And what, how can I find joy? How can I find delight? What pleases me within the frame that I have accepted? And so acceptance is not just this kind of this Zen, you know, image that people may have. You know, so I'm going to sort of sit and meditate in a corner and, and be all happy about everything. Acceptance is sort of facing the truth and saying, yep, this is tough and it's rotten and I'd much rather be in Cancun on the beach, but this is where I am. 
I'm so glad that you talked about this in this way. I uh, I think that expectation is really a, a big part of what happens when we are in a caregiving role. It's true that it actually happens throughout our lives, but in particular in caregiving, there's a there's a something that certainly happened for me over and over again, where each day is different and they're not linear. They're like one day is good and then one day is bad. And so there's a really, it's not, it's really hard to know if you're going in a direction and what direction it is, right? Because if you're in the present moment, which is really the only place that joy exists anyway, right? Then, uh, then knowing what's next is, um, is harder and will, will really kind of steal that joy. So for instance, in the moment right now, I am uh, a caregiver for my mother and she's older and she's been through the, um, care, the, the medical system. And she, you know, if you talk to people in the medical system, they're going to tell you what the expectation is that they think for an 80 something year old woman, uh, who just had a big broken bone and this and that and the other thing. And, um, and my expectation is really different from that. And her expectation is really different from that. And actually, as we're just talking about this, it reminds me um, of, <laughs> not to interject one more story, but it reminds me of when my father was very, very ill in the hospital and a doctor came in and he said, 80% uh, of people, my father was an accountant. And so when he heard 80% of people have a bad outcome, right? He said, uh, I'm one of the 20%. So treat me like I'm one of the 20% that's it. Right. And I think that, that those kinds of startling expectation shifters that really changes things. Right. And it, it keeps us from anticipating something that may not be the direction we want to go in. You know, I think that's right because you, you know, people sometimes ask me about that with Parkinson's in particular, you know, what stage is, is, is my partner in? Um, what's coming next? How long is this going to last? And the statistics aren't really very helpful, except the statistic that says that life expectancy is going to be pretty much the way it was. Um, and so if you're, you know, you're, you're watching your watch, where are we? What's going to happen next? You're not present here now, as you've just said. Um, there's, there's an approach to Parkinson's caregiving that grows out of improvisational theater. And it's so weird, but it's using the idea of yes and. If you ever watch Whose Line Is It Anyway, which is that amazing TV show of, of improv actors, like, oh my God, they're so good. But they approach whatever comes next as saying yes and. And I think if you approach a caregiving experience with that sense of, yes, you've had a big incontinence accident and you didn't mean it. Good thing I have good gloves. Um, we are or we're not in a hurry to get someplace and let it be what it is. Now, I hate to sound like Pollyanna. Oh, everything's going to be fine. 
everything's not going to be fine. But sometimes what you say is, yes, it's not fine. It's not what I want. And, and that opens you, I think, to being able to have a life that's not a life under assault. It's a life of a lot of work. It's a life of loss at times. Yeah, for sure it's a life of loss, but it isn't a life of living under assault. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. This uh, this piece where you're constantly uh, at the ready for tragedy and trauma and disaster is a it's a huge thing that people go through when there's th- there are life threatening situations happening. Right, it's huge. I mean, uh, I think when my husband was ill, I I don't really remember sleeping. Although I didn't really think it was a issue either, right? My perspective was really different. But we can get stuck in these patterns where we're um, always on and always anticipating the worst. And uh, it really does rob us from the present, doesn't it? It does. You know, and yet I want to, I'm, I'm thinking about the many people who are part of my world who also would say to me, but you know, this is hard. This is hard and horrible. And don't tell me I have to be okay at every moment because that's so difficult to say carefully and to say well, but you won't always feel pleased or happy about what's happening because it is so hard, but it is normal. And one thing that I think happens to a lot of the caregivers that I'm in touch with is that because they are, they feel so isolated, they feel like all my friends are having this, you know, very, you know, contented retirement They're with their kids or they're traveling or they're still working and I'm the only one. And there's some power when caregivers talk to each other and hear from other caregivers, this is what's happening to you. This is how it is, and this is how it is for us. And does it fix anything? Well, no, but it does It does fix one thing. It fixed loneliness and isolation, and it fixed that sense of somehow having been personally attacked by this thing. Mm, yeah, there is that piece that sometimes people really fee- feel persecuted by God or whoever, <laughs> right? They really feel like, yeah, this happened to me, yeah. I mean, it happens to some people. And like you said, your dad said he was one of the 20%. Sometimes we're one of the 80%. Sometimes we're one of the ones who have a tougher road ahead of us. Yeah. So how do we, I mean, I love this idea of, of working with the loneliness issue. And a lot of the work that I do is really to work with loneliness within yourself, right? As opposed to, okay, go get a a group. (laughs) Um, But I would love to talk about from this place where we are and we're present and we accept we're in full um, resonance with what we're doing and we have expectations that feel good to us, right? So here we are. How do we tap in to something really good from there? Happiness or joy or one of those really wonderful emotions. They are there. And I'm going to cite an article that I saw recently in the New York Times, or it was an op-ed or an article or something where someone talked about the capacity 
for delight in the small things. And the poets would probably make it easier for us to talk about this. But the idea is that if you're open to small, delightful things every day and actually ask yourself, what delighted me today? Sometimes the delight is very gentle. I looked out the window and there was a cardinal right in the tree. And sometimes it's, oh, they made it to the bathroom before they had, you know, a disaster of some sort. But I think having a mindset that says I'm entitled to the delight that's present, the delight that's here, um, is a really important tool for people who are caregiving. Something that I say in one of the things that I've published is that your partner's struggle is not made one bit easier by your suffering. And I encounter caregivers who feel like they have to ward off joy and ward off pleasure because their partner can't participate in it. And I don't think that's fair to you as a caregiver. You guys have different, we guys, but caregivers have different paths. And I'm not sure it's fair to characterize that your your partner can't delight in it as well. Well, sometimes they can. Yeah. I mean, I think it's important to be really realistic about this. If I, I'll, I'll give you, in fact, a perfect example. My, I loved my husband to pieces and he was a great person and we had so many interests in common, but I will never forget there was a full eclipse of the moon coming. And I was really excited and I set up, you know, and so when the full eclipse happened, there I was looking out the window and I was saying, look, look, Parkinson's in particular steals pleasure because dopamine drops. People with Parkinson's develop what, you know, the, the experts would call anhedonia. They lose the capacity for joy and pleasure. And so I'm like, oh my God, it's such a wonderful thing in the cosmos and God and all of that about a lunar eclipse. He was like, eh. and that was not like him. He would have normally been sitting there right with me and, and sort of enjoying it with me. And he had lost that. And so it was really unfair of me to say to him, look, look, what was better for me was to, and for both of us was for me to absorb the joy of that, which I clearly, I still remember it because I still can kind of feel the joy of that all these years later. And then to just tell him in a warm way, I just saw something I really liked. So maybe, yeah, that is sharing it with him, but it is not the same and you've got to let it not be the same. Yeah. It's a really different thing than we're on the path together, isn't it? Well, in, I, don't, I mean, I can't speak for every kind of thing that happens in people's lives, but because of the changes in the capacity for relationship that's part of Parkinson's, they can't care about you. They can't enjoy the things that used to give them pleasure. And it's not depression. It's different than depression. And I mean, they can get depression too, but that's not depression. And the connection between you and the person you're caring for can be stretched so thin. And when caregivers don't know, Parkinson's caregivers don't know that this is happening. One of the things that can happen is they think my marriage is failing. My mother doesn't love me anymore. And yet what has happened is that the person's ability to feel empathy has been systematically undermined by Parkinson's. I write about it in my book that Parkinson's is a thief. And one of the things it steals is the capacity to care about other people.
So let's talk about the releasing process because, you know, uh, obviously I don't have experience with uh, Parkinson's specifically. And, and I know a lot of our listeners uh, may not be on that exact journey uh, at this moment. Um, but the process of releasing is really similar to what you're talking about. And um, this way in which it is, it is, it has, it's forced, I'm going to say it's the other person is experiencing something, experiencing something that pushes that process forward very quickly. Um, that's, that's still part of the process of releasing, whether you're going through divorce or you're going through the loss of a loved one, or you're going through a big shift in your business, that there's this process that looks the same in all of those places. Don't get me wrong. It, it can be filled with trauma and worry and all sorts of other things when it, when it is compounded by grief. But that single process is, uh, it's really an interesting thing to look at in terms of how do we do the releasing and the happiness at the same time. So can we just talk a little bit about, I love that you've been talking about how do we um, kind of make space for this new version of this person? How do you get there? Um, I mean, I, I, I can tell you from my own experience and from what I hear from other people, I remember the day I had to look at myself in the mirror and say, it's not there anymore. There were things that would never happen for us again. And I could grieve that, and I did, and I could be really sad about it, but I also had to say, and now what's next? And that releasing can either be, you know, something feels ripped out of you, and that's miserable, or it can be opening your hands and letting it, letting something that is, is, is past fall from your hands so that there's space to reach for something else. And that sounds kind of, you know very woo-woo. But in fact, for me, that's what the experience was like. It wasn't until I told myself, he cannot embrace you. He cannot even see you and look at you in the way that you're used to, in the way that you crave. What can he do? And I found other kinds of joy that were astounding, that would probably not have happened if I had been working so hard to keep things as they had been. I had to be free to be a different kind of wife, a different kind of partner, and for, to let him be a different kind of husband because he could still be with me, but not in the same kind of way. You know, when I talk about the process of my husband's illness and, and his passing and a couple of days after he passed, my the house that we owned sold. And so... I really went through this process of, of stripping away. I had stopped working. I had a coaching practice that I had closed down in order to help him. And uh, so I ended up with, you know, nothing. <laughs> no house, no partner. Well, I'll tell you, I think a lot of people would have found it awful. But what I found in that nothingness and what is truly there for all of us is the sensation of joy because there's nothing left. There's just nothing left. And so what is in the bottom of our soul can be wonder and joy and playfulness and ease 
right? When nothing is left? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, when all of what you've clung to is gone, you have choices. You can choose to only grieve or you can also see the world as broader. I would love for everybody to get to know how to get in touch with you. And um, so tell us a little bit about what you've got going on. Okay. Well, I always like to tell people about my book and I keep a copy of it close at hand. It's called Love, Dignity and Parkinson's from Care Partner to Caregiver. And you can get it all the usual places and ask your library to buy it. But in addition to that, my website, which is my name, terrypeace.com, is the gateway in to get various documents that are related to people at different stages of Parkinson's and also puts you into my email newsletter where you get a couple of emails a week and you get my weekly Q&A column, all of which is designed just for Parkinson's and dementia caregivers. There's tons of other good information about the medical and practical sides of caregiving. This is about you, the caregiver. And so in addition to that, I have all sorts of other things, a new course that's coming out to help onboard new caregivers, like an on-ramp when you haven't ever thought of yourself as a caregiver, to get to reach caregiving with that kind of sort of joy and readiness to be open to it. So I hope people come because there's not a lot out there for caregivers. It's wonderful. Thank you so much. And I'm so glad that we got to spend this time together. I'll see you guys next week. 